Yeah, let us regather and regroup. It is uh, great to be with everyone. Welcome. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Silas, uh, pastor here, and um, just excited to be worshiping together, leading us in a time as we reflect on the word. Thank you to the band and to Andrew for leading us in that prayer um, and just opening ourselves to quiet, opening ourselves to hear from God, to reflect on the delight and joy in the scripture, Um, rich space. So thank you for that. And um, it is honored, uh, I'm honored to be leading as we continue to encounter Christ every time we meet. That's kind of been a theme for us from the uh, annual meeting. It's a stated goal that we want to try and focus on and be intentional about. So every time we gather, can we encounter Christ? And what does that look like? If you would, join me in prayer as we continue our series on prayer. It feels right to do so. Uh, So let us pray and prepare our hearts to receive from the word. God, we're grateful for the gift of this day. We're grateful for this time to gather. We're grateful for this moment in our week to pause. And we, in our pausing, in our moment of the week here in this space with these people, Pray that you would meet us. May this spoken word be faithful to your written word. Would it lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, amen. This logo that Kyle's going to put up here is a product from an international company. The company's enormous. It's super well known. I want you to take a look at this logo and examine it, think about it. If you had to give an answer, can anyone guess what this logo is for? What's it selling? Okay, a couple answers. One was toddler toys. Anyone else? Diaper changer station, okay, yeah. Anything else? Let's give you a hint. Here's the, the company that makes it. Okay. Any, anyone else? Thoughts? Formula? Here's the reveal. It's a little tricky. I, I pulled a trick, but here's the reveal. This is the actual logo. But when Nestle first wanted to sell this in the Middle East, people were reading it the first way. And so it read the other direction, which means you are taking a baby from walking to maybe the position you don't want to go in. The formula is not doing what it's supposed to do, right? Because it's reading from right to left in that space versus from left to right. And so for us, like, we can read this and be like, that's clearly baby formula. On the other side, we have questions. Maybe it's not the most effective product for the flourishing of humanity, not what we want to give our children. But I want you to think, like, in that switch, right, from reading left to right, from right to left, little keys that change the entire way that you interpret and experience something. Have you ever had an experience where recognizing one small detail completely changed how you perceive something that you'd experienced plenty of times before? 
Have you ever had an experience where one moment of recognition changes a history of experience and an experience going forward? It's amazing how sometimes things that are seemingly insignificant can have such a profound impact on our experiences of the world. And for us this morning, as we continue our series called Teach Us to Pray, we're going to discover how praying the Lord's Prayer might change when we begin to notice some of the small structural components that happen from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And so, so far in this series, we've looked at barriers to prayer. We've looked at uh, our Father. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of heaven. This week, in, uh, in our scripture, we're going to focus on verse 11. Give us this day, or give us today our daily bread. But as we aim to explore and pray this verse in context, join me in reading, reciting, and praying the Lord's Prayer. And as we read the passage, we'll read our scripture reading together from the screen. We'll pray it together. May we allow it to read us and shape our affections to reflect the character of Christ. So if you would, this is our scripture for the day. We'll focus on verse 11, but we're going to do the whole passage. Join me in reading and praying and reciting this passage. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Throughout Christian history, this line has been interpreted in many different ways. It's a part of a prayer, so it's been prayed in many different ways. Consider this. In the early church, um, the phrase daily bread was often understood in a spiritual sense, representing the need for spiritual nourishment and sustenance. So in Israel's history, When Moses and the Israelites, they're leaving Egypt, right? The exodus has happened. They're freed from Egypt, freed from slavery, and they're traveling. And in the wilderness, they don't have anything to eat. So God provides manna. And manna literally means, what is this? And so in the early church, the prayer for daily bread was understood in a spiritual sense that God will provide. That God will sustain. That God will nourish. And then when Jesus says to pray like this, this prayer was understood to be asking uh, prayer for the grace and wisdom needed to live as Christians. So rather than just praying for literal bread, following from this, uh, Christianity's more historic traditions have understood this verse to be an allusion to some kind of sacrament in communion, some kind of spiritual moment, um, and some engagement with the spiritual world. During the Middle Ages, the interpretation of daily bread shifted to a more literal meaning. This makes sense as many people struggled with poverty and hunger. The prayer was seen as a plea for God to provide basic physical needs, food, shelter, And then in the 16th century, 
during the Protestant Reformation, some theologians began to interpret daily bread as a call to reject the idea of hoarding wealth and instead to focus on the importance of sharing resources with others. So in that phrase, give us our daily bread, it says, don't give us the bread for next year. Let's not amass the bread for two years from now. Daily bread, what we have. And anything extra, we disperse. Anything extra, we share. Just enough for today. So this interpretation emphasized the importance of living a simple, a humble life rather than seeking material wealth or possessions. In more modern times, this interpretation of daily bread, it varies. Some people interpret it strictly in a spiritual sense, while others see it as a reminder of the importance of providing basic physical needs, food, water, shelter. It's not as straightforward when we sketch out how, through the history of interpretation, this verse has lended and trended towards different um, trajectories. The meaning of this phrase and the meaning of this prayer has evolved over time. And it continues to be open to interpretation. So in your reading, in our praying, as we engage this, three ideas we just presented around how to interpret daily bread. Do any of these ideas resonate with you? One of the three. Do you find yourself in one of these three ways historically that the Christian church has talked about this? Lots of, lots of nodding. Okay, that's good, that's good. The point of sharing these three views or uh, these three trajectories isn't to say this is the only way this has been interpreted, but there are the three dominant ways that the church has talked about daily bread. What is it? And we're not going to try to ar- articulate what is the right one, because all these interpretations, they highlight a truth that we can be praying around if we are living out the faith well. They all highlight different things. That said, if we take a step back and learn how exploring some of the structure in this prayer comes across, I think we'll see that everything starts to change. Matthew, the book, is written as a chiasm. That's a fancy word, chiasm, chiastic structure, that is really a literary device or it's a style that communicates emphasis through a particular ordering of things. So there are many different biblical scholars who have debated exactly what the division in this book looks like, but most would agree that the the center of the book, if you look at Matthew kind of going up to a peak and then coming down, the peak is Matthew 13, the parables of the kingdom, the description of the kingdom of God. So you have all these parables that happen right in the middle of the book, And from there, everything seems to cascade down. With this being the central focus of the book, the way that chiasms work is that you read the center of the book and then you read everything else, the beginning and the end, in light of what you find in the middle. So that's different than how we tell stories and read stories in our Western modern mindset. Because we like to go to the end of the book and then that is the revelation Right? So we read from beginning, we get to the end, and that's where the payoff is. In this structure, the payoff is in the middle. So you read from beginning, you find the revelation, and then you reread the next bit in light of the, 
the big payoff. So it's just a little bit different structurally for how literature is working in this time. That might sound complicated. We have a visual that's going to help us as we parse this out. The key is you read to the center, and then you judge the rest of the book in light of the center, not the ending. So we'll look at it like this, the overview of the Lord's Prayer. Again, this is designed as a chiastic structure. So begin, uh, this is how the, the, the passage begins. It has name, kingdom, and, uh, and will. When we pray this prayer, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We have this trajectory going forward. And notice what all these prayers are. These are prayers to God. Prayers about God. So verse 9, beginning of 10, 10b, name, kingdom, will. It's all about God. They're all prayers to God and about God. If you, again, continue on from this in the passage, we then get to this verse, on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the, the, the centerpiece of this whole prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. So you have name, kingdom, and will. On earth as it is in heaven. And now, as the prayer continues... It hits the same themes, but it does it through a little bit of a different way. So if we start with prayers about God and to God, the second half of the prayer, did you ever notice that the pronoun changes from your to us? It changes from talking about God to prayer about us. Prayers that interact with our lived reality. Give us this day our daily bread. It says... uh, Forgive us our debts, as also we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In all of this, we have this trajectory where we start, verse 9, we go to the center, and then as we come back down, we go through our lived reality. Name, kingdom, will, on earth as it is in heaven, Bread, forgive, and temptation. So the structure, again, goes from beginning to the end, or beginning to the middle, that then transforms how we experience the end. Prayers about God, prayers about us. The prayer structure is designed to cause us to meditate on how earth and heaven, how they meet, how they come together. And more importantly, on how we might participate in praying on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the huge animating heart of this prayer is that center. On earth as it is in heaven, this is what gives this prayer life. As the order reverses, this is how the prayer starts to connect to itself. So Daryl Johnson is a Canadian theologian. And he expresses how if you look at the first three things we have name, kingdom, and will, they all tie backwards with bread, forgiveness, and temptation. Think about it this way. The prayer begins by naming God rightly as holy, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. 
And it ends with a warning to resist temptation, resist depictions of God that contradict God's character. Don't fall into the temptation of misnaming God. So we have these two verses that kind of bracket each other. They're bookending each other. On earth as it is in heaven. Don't be deceived. In this prayer, Jesus presses us to resist worshiping idols that claim the Lord's name. If the kingdom of God is to be on earth as it is in heaven, how does this happen? Well, it happens through the restoration of relationship. And this brings us to the next one. It brings us to forgiveness. Remember, the kingdom of God isn't based on wielding power to dominate over each other. The citizenship we have with God, the kingdom of God, it challenges how we hold relationship with each other. So on earth as it is in heaven, it leads us into this idea where in this prayer, Jesus presses us to initiate the restoration of relationships. We have kingdom and forgive bracketed together. The last pairing in this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is for the flourishing of all. And so through the provision of spiritual food, through the provision of physical food, through sustaining us with enough without violating the agency of creation, um, on earth as it is in heaven, in this prayer, Jesus invites us to build, our, build on restored relationships in light of God's character by petitioning for spiritual and physical provisions of other communities. And so we tie these things together. Can we get back to that, um, that, uh, the graph, Kyle? Thank you for that. So is this making sense, everyone, in terms of how this prayer is designed? Right? We pray the beginning, on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean for that name to exist that way? Well, it means that God is holy. What does it mean for the kingdom of God to be here? Well, it means we have to be in relationship, and that means we must forgive people. What's it mean for the will of God to be made? For the will of God to come into fruition? Well, God will give us bread, will sustain us. The animating heart of this prayer is this central verse, on earth as it is in heaven. And so I sketch that out to say, As we go into the next three weeks, we're going to finish out those last three uh, verses. Temptation, forgiveness, today's bread. But this trajectory, right, it changes the scope of how prayer lands on us. Because so far in this prayer, we've talked about prayers to God, prayers about God. Things get personal when we start thinking about, how does this prayer wrap me into the life of God? How does this prayer wrap me into the being of God? What do we do when we are asked to pray and things don't end the way we hope they would end? I think if you've lived a little bit of time in the church, that's a question that probably all of us have asked. What do we do 
when we ask and it doesn't happen? Does that mean that prayer is not answered or goes unanswered? Does that mean that prayer doesn't work? This is one of the big questions and barriers, if we think of that that first week, that come up every time we talk about a series on prayer. Because, again, barriers might be busyness. They might be, I don't know if I can believe in prayer because of experiences. I don't know if I can live into prayer because I've been burned by it. These are real things that we all experience, that we all have experienced. To think about that space and to think about that question, how do we respond and why do we keep praying? I think one thing that comes out when we read this verse about daily bread in light of the kingdom of heaven, in light of God in this prayer, inviting us to bring heaven and earth together as one, to live it out, to live out what heaven means. This prayer, it asks us questions about how do we respond to the call of God when God enlivens things in our prayer life. I can give an example of what this looks like. I, I had a friend who... We were studying theology, undergrad. We're also college kids, so, you know, like, you're not tethered. You can kind of do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. And he just felt like he had this call to go overseas, to serve the needy. Um, Can't remember where it was, but he would pray. Every time we gathered and prayed, my God, be with these people across the pond. Be with these people over there. Lord, If it's your will, send me to these places. I remember in our gathering, um, we'd known known each other for about a year. Someone was like, "You're, you're talking about people without running water. I love that you're doing that. Did you know there are people in our community across the train tracks from our college who don't have running water? He didn't know. We didn't know. In, in our town, we were kind of isolated in our college bubble, but this socioeconomic demographic of Cleveland, Tennessee is not the most robust uh, given the nature of America. It's probably lower than Seattle, definitely lower than Seattle. But certainly there's pockets that would overlap. But I share that to say, in this recognition for him, he started to changed the way he prayed over the course of the time. So freshman year, that's kind of all he's praying. He's known as the guy who wants to be sent overseas. By the time we graduate, he's participating in this ministry called Crossover Ministry that every Saturday and through the week, they've gathered food, they've connected with local nonprofits, they've connected with churches, with grocery stores, they've collected all these things. And now... As a senior, he's leading out this project and this work to people who are just on the other side of the street. People without running water, people without groceries, people who are in need in the same way that he had been praying in this first year. And what happened? Because he's still praying, he still has a heart for people. But as he's praying these prayers, 
faithfully trying to respond to the call of God in his life, what's happening is his heart's also being attuned to those needs that he's raising in the world that's immediately around him. And his heart starts to change from, God, it doesn't matter even where you send me. May I be provision in the need, if it's here or if it's over there. Give us today our daily bread. When we pray this, it's not just in some way to bolster ourselves. But when we pray this and we recognize give us, there's a community that's brought into that prayer. There's a look outside ourselves that is brought into this prayer. And as we do that look outside ourselves, it also helps us recognize that what are we being nourished for? If we ask God for bread, what do we hope that bread forms in our life? It takes us back to that idea, manna. What is this? Through Israel's history, it carried them through the exile. It carried them for years in the wilderness. And yet, in that way, we get to the story of Christ. We get to the moment of Christ, who's telling them, pray for bread. Pray for subsistence. Pray that God will meet your needs. And at the same way, God's hoping, and Christ is asking, that as you receive from this, will your affections be formed towards the heart of God? To read this prayer and to read that verse back into the animating heart of it, bringing heaven and earth together, that bread that we pray, that bread we pray for, is meant to form us to live that center. <coughs> in, the, in the weeks to come, next week when we look at forgiveness and temptation the following week, those are also things that bring earth and heaven together. We'll offer prayers that are more tactile about how does, uh, how do, does praying these two things help us embody this ethic that we hope the world looks like, that God and Jesus instructs us to pray. But I have this question for us. How might my prayers, how might the prayers we have for provision, how might they resist temptation how might they restore relationship? And how might they cause us to receive from God? And how uh, help others to receive from God through us? How might my prayers for provision, for bread, for sustenance, how might they help me to resist the temptation to make life all about myself? Or to try and make life for myself? I think some of you have heard me say this before. We in this part of the world, FOMO is a real thing, fear of missing out. I think what's more accurate for our society in the Pacific Northwest, in Seattle, is FOBO, fear of being outcompeted, fear of not amassing as much, fear of not having enough, fear of not stacking up. And so we miss out, but that's really energized by, so let's grind. Let's make it happen. I'm going to make life happen for myself. This prayer reorients that to say, if that's our mindset, is that bringing heaven and earth together in the way God wants heaven to look in your life? In the way God wants you to participate in making heaven here on earth? 
It might be. That's not to say it's not there. But it's a question to think about. We do not... uh, One of the claims of the Christian faith is that we do not um, animate our whole lives by ourselves. We have agency in the world, that's for sure. But we participate with a God in making heaven a reality. And so it's not we're robots and we live out this will. It's not the other side, 100% God, 0% us, or 100% us, 0% God. It is us together, 100% and 100%, fully active in the creation of heaven here. Sometimes if we get sucked into that 100% zero, 100% zero, what that means is when we pray a prayer like this, It could mean, I don't need to do anything because God will provide. I prayed it. I believed it. I said it with faith. Paycheck's coming tomorrow. There's some traditions, my tradition being one, that leaned into that and still in some ways leans into that in really strong ways. I would say that's unhealthy because it misses the animating heart of this prayer. On the other side, we might think, well, give, give me today my daily bread. I better, I better go find it. I better go make it. Right? Let's make our own luck. Without recognizing that when we try to live in that way, the likelihood of us losing energy, losing steam, is high. Incredibly high. Because life's not meant to be lived in this way, 100% me, with zero recognition that God is bringing life to bear in the world. Heaven and earth coming together. Worlds coming together. The creation of new life coming together. 100% God, 100% us. This is what prayer does. Earlier in this series, we quoted Brian Bantam. He's again, wrote this book, Redeeming Mulatto, who talks about bringing worlds and spaces together. He talks about how the act of prayer is the confession of what is, and the confession of what will be. The confession of what is and the confession of what will be. And so in this vein, holding these two tensions together, what is here, what's going to come? Again, we live in this society where we like to seize the day. We live in a location where we like to take life And make it ours. As we pray, give us today our daily bread. I love the way that theologian Sarah Coakley talks and says, this prayer is meant to help us purify our desire. It's meant to purify how we can pray this prayer. It reminds us that there is bread for today. And that as we live and work and move and have our being, as we parent, as we have relationship with each other, as we have friendship with each other, as we hold life and we live life, in this prayer, God is saying, your desire is for today, and it's not just yours. It's going to tie us back to the first way we've looked at this prayer. Who is included in the are? Who's included in the us? Who is God trying to feed through give us today our daily bread?
How we answer that question lives out the reality of heaven and earth coming together in a snapshot. And the hope of this prayer is that the snapshots we have of heaven start to expand and they grow. So if you think of the snapshot being really tight, say like, I don't know, 100 millimeter, you slowly start to widen out the lens and get wider and wider so that you can capture a bigger and bigger scene. Those are the snapshots that we're aiming to live this reality into. Those are the snapshots that this prayer wants to push us towards. Not just bread for bread's sake, but bread in light of the kingdom. Nourishment in light of the kingdom. Being sustained in light of the kingdom. This is how this prayer is meant to work. So with that, as we do consider and reflect on the ways that God's kingdom is brought into reality on earth through our agency, through our participation, through our prayer, through our activity. I want us to finish by meditating on the parable of the persistent widow. Many of you have heard me talk about this in the past. It's one of my favorite prayers, one of my favorite parables that Jesus gives. Because there was a widow who continually came to a judge and said, bring me justice, bring me goodness, avenge me. And day after day, she came and the judge eventually got worn down and said, so that she will stop bothering me, I will give her justice. And then she goes her way. Now, typically when we read this, we position ourselves as the widow and we position God as the unjust judge. And we say, this parable means pray through until you get what you want. Do not stop until you get what you want. But is God that way? As we flip the positions, who has God given authority to make decisions about in the world? To say, do what is right or do what's wrong. We have agency as beings of God to make decisions about justice and not justice. We have agency to make decisions. And here's the flip. God is the widow who is always saying, Can you hear the cry of justice? And can you respond to it in a way that brings about my goodness in the world? Will it take seven times, eight times? Will it take you to get worn down to then bring heaven on earth together? Or will it be the first time? If it's the first time, as we start to pray this prayer and let it work on us, how we respond to the cry of God through the marginalized in society changes everything. And so that when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're nourished into a posture that responds to God and animates that heart, heaven and earth as one. And so receive and let us enter into a time of reflection in light of this prayer and in light of this reading of that parable. We're going to pause for about 30 seconds. Band, I'll welcome you guys back up.
And then I'll pray a blessing over us as we meditate on the word of God. Lord, we do believe and we pray that you are holy. And we pray that just as this prayer opens up with naming you as God, naming you as one who is holy, we pray that claims that try to take that and twist it for their own ends, we pray that you would help us resist the temptation to call you anything but that. God, we pray that as your kingdom comes on earth, as you invite us to participate in bringing heaven and earth together, that in light of that commission, may our prayers for provision and sustenance feed us towards that end. Would it make us and cause us and nourish us and form us to be your hands and feet extended in this world, to make heaven a reality not just for me, but for us, in an ever-expanding vision of who us is. Lord, by your Spirit, as we reflect on your goodness, as we reflect on this prayer, would you help us recognize ways that our imagination can be formed to reflect you well? May we not be people who just try to seize the day But may your goodness and may the bread that nourishes us towards flourishing for the world around us, may that bread be grasped for us today. We're grateful for this time to meditate on your word. And we pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. As we worship, there's the prayer that we have meditated on for the last couple weeks. It's woven into the song. Let us worship together and sing uh, with a heart that brings heaven and earth together. Let's worship, friends. Right?